Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Tis the season, ladies and gentlemen, he says with a big sigh. Tis the season for injuries again. The great ebb and flow. The NBA giveth, the NBA taketh away. We actually had, and we, you know, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit. We actually had a run through the month of December where it was mostly stars coming back. You know, LeBron came back in November, then Kawhi, James Harden, Damian Lillard, all of these really important players came back. And we were all riding high for a little while. The streamer board was short. Remember for a while it was at like 25 names. Streamer board got down to like six or seven names and maybe only two of them were like legitimately good fill-in plays. We were down to like Emmanuel Quickly, Slow-Mo, Thomas Bryant, and Onyeka Okongwu as like trustworthy fill-in streamers. And then over the last two days, the whole thing... I mean, if you want to extend it even farther back to Joel Embiid in the middle of last week, if you extend it back like four or five days, the whole thing's just come apart. So now you've got streamer options in Philly. You've sort of got them in Phoenix. You now have them in Chicago. You might have them in Brooklyn. We'll find out. John Morantz missed a couple of ball games, so you had them in Memphis. On and on and on. And Boston, Marcus Smart is out, although he's he's not a superstar or anything, but he's sort of in the mix, and now all of a sudden the streamer board basically doubled in size. And if you wanted to, I mean, that's the, I don't know, is that the best way to track how many injuries are happening in the NBA? Uh, Works for me. You can go through the board and just see all the names that are listed on Yahoo has the little GTD or injury tag. Uh, But for me, I keep this running injury replacement board in a notepad document that just sits open on my computer all the time. And I look at that and I'm like, oh damn, it's up to like 12, 13 names again. It must be one of those weeks. Well, now we just have to hope. We have to hope that Durant is back in four weeks or less. We'll see. There's this, there's a lot going on around him being an extremely slow healer. I don't think that's really ever been the case that, you know, this, this knee sprain, the MCL sprain, uh, takes him about as long as everybody else. And the little things haven't really come up for him. He hasn't had, like, the sore foot, the turned ankle. Just somebody falls into the poor dude's freaking knee once a season. It's bad luck, man. It's bad luck. He's in the wrong place there. Ah, well. Um, All of that to say, we had more of it on yesterday's card, and we're going to get into that here momentarily. Uh, First thing first on the show, remind everybody you're listening to Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and you can find me on social media at Dan Bespris. And every day I'm just going to yell at you and wag my finger until you guys listen. It is actually of critical importance that you use Twitter for basketball and fantasy sport information. And I know what you're thinking, Dan, isn't that a hellscape? Yes, it absolutely is. It is a disaster zone. It's very much the guy sipping a drink with the house on fire around him saying this is fine. But you know how you can put the fire out? Use TweetDeck. They don't sponsor me. I have no affiliation with them in any capacity, but I do use it religiously because it keeps the crap out of my timeline. I don't get any suggested things I might like. It's exclusively 
the people I follow and what they tweet or retweet. That's it. TweetDeck.Twitter.com. Sign up so you can get your information and follow me in the process because we're going to do a lot of crap over there. Uh, but you got to have it, man. You can't wait a full day for basketball information or your league is just going to lap you. So that's our only real promo at the front end of the show. Uh, big blow and a kiss to our buddies over at expressvpn.com. They have now signed up through this calendar year, which is awesome. Uh, we'll have different ad reads for you with them every couple of weeks here on the show. But our special link over there is expressvpn.com slash hoopball, and you get 15 months for the price of 12 on your VPN membership. It's a really cool service, and it makes streaming services a lot, a lot more effective because you get all these extra things when you can change basically where the uh, internet thinks that you are viewing from. Your location is uh, of, of great importance, and you protect your privacy. I'm less obsessed with the privacy protection thing because, like, look at me. I do, like, what the hell do I have to hide at this point? But I do like being able to use my streaming stuff for what it's actually for. Let's take a look back at the Monday card. It wasn't a long one, just six games, but I, I do think there's a, a couple key things to pull away from this and a few changes to be made uh, in how we assess the guys that we're dropping into our lineup. New Orleans blew out Washington. Christophe Porzingis is dealing with sore ribs, although you kind of wouldn't have known from the ball game. He played pretty well. Uh, he's been actually ex extraordinarily durable this year. He's played in 37 ball games. He's number 16 on a per-game basis. 13 by totals, which is just like, pow, head explode. Uh, but he's one of the, the best hits in the early middle rounds of fantasy. And if he has to miss a ball game, just grin and bear it. Because we expected him to have missed about eight times as many by this point. The Daniel Gafford injury, on the other hand, is a little more annoying. Because it's sort of always something with him right now. And that's a damn shame because Gafford's been really, really good over the last couple of weeks. And that really, really good has been muffled by the fact that, first of all, he had one game where he went one for five at the free throw line. So that's clouding the free throw percent for him if you look at like the last 10 ball games. And then a couple, like he's leaving early here. Things that have just knocked him out where they're ready to give him basically like 27, 28 minutes a ball game. And if only we could just get there. But the nice thing about Gafford is, and, and you're going to hold on here because he's questionable. It doesn't sound like it's a big ankle thing. Uh, but the nice thing about Gafford is that we know his free throw percent is going to level off in the high 60s to low 70s. It's not going to be like a soul-crushing number. He typically doesn't take that many. And he made three out of four in yesterday's ball game. That's like pretty reasonable for him there. He's not a, an awful foul shooter. But he's very good at rebounding when he's in there. This game, for some reason, it just sort of didn't lend itself to that. He was dealing with Jonas Valanciunas for, frankly, more than he probably should have had to. Uh, and typically, he's going to get you blocks. Blocks, rebounds, field goal percent. That's a, that's a really nice combo. That's the big man combo. And we've seen there just aren't that many of those guys out there this year that aren't also horrible at foul shooting. Like I said, no, he's not good at the free throw line. But anyway, the key point is you're hanging on to him at least to see, like, if the prognosis comes back and it's awful, then fine, move on, do what you need to do. But I don't expect it will be um, more than a, a couple of ball games. And he's been more than good enough lately. And they just, they like who they are more when he's in there. 
As far as the other stuff on the Wizards' side, we can move on from Denny Avdia. He was a really good Beal fill-in earlier this year, but he's just, like, he's floating right now. He has no idea what's going on. Uh, so drop away. Monte Morris had 13 points and 9 assists, uh, but he doesn't really do anything else. He doesn't hit the three ball. He doesn't get defensive stats. So pass. Corey Kispert had five three-pointers in this ball game, but again, he doesn't do anything else. Too limited in their nine-category fantasy appeal. As far as points leagues are concerned, now nah, it's kind of a big meh on those guys also. On the New Orleans side, we had an injury in this one also. Herb Jones took a pretty nasty spill. He ended up with a back contusion is the official listed reason he didn't make it through the rest of the ballgame. Finished with five points and a steal. He was actually playing really well lately. Despite no Herb, Trey Murphy still stunk in this one. And he's been flat-out bad lately. Trey Murphy um, just gone totally quiet. There's a couple games mixed in there where he's been better, but we're at a, a juncture now with him where he just he he doesn't look like he wants to be a part of things. And so over the last four or five games, he's outside the top 150. Still, when you look at this team, and you know, they had some other options here, they went to more Larry Nance, and it was actually Murphy who lost out to Nance coming back. In a lot of situations it'll be Valanchunas because, I mean, he can't guard anybody. And so if they get in a more competitive ball game, you probably see New Orleans go a little bit smaller. And, you know, maybe that means you get the Nance-Trey Murphy front court. It's hard to know. With Herb out now, I don't know how the Pels have that much of a choice like, if they wanted to go away from Trey Murphy... By the way, I'm just realizing as I do the podcast, I seem to have cut my hand, so I have to try to leave that alone for the next little bit. Uh, so what? Do I, here's what I would do. Without getting too much into the weeds and discussing, like, what each player fits and how they fit, first of all, Larry Nance looked more like Larry Nance here. He was a team best plus 30 in the 25 and a half minutes he was on the floor. They love him. He makes everything fit for that New Orleans roster wherever they play him. And I know you're like, Dan, only six points. You think I care about six points? Again, we had this discussion yesterday. That's like, you know, 40% of what you'd want to get out of uh, someone in the scoring department. We forgive everybody all the time for getting 40% of what you'd want out of them in any other category. Let's say, like, scoring, average scoring is like 15 to 16 points. That's basically what you'd need. If you look at Roto at the end of the year, the team that is mid-pack is around 15 points per game's cap game. Uh, the team that wins is probably like closer to 17 or something like that. So most teams fall in between those two numbers. Okay, I get it. Like, Nance is not going to score much. Six, eight points per ball game. That's only somewhere from 40% to maybe a little over half of what you'd need to get to league average. But so many players do that in every other category every day, and we just don't even care. A player that gets two rebounds, it's not even 40%. That's less. That's like 30-something, 30 33-ish, one-third roughly of how many rebounds you need to be mid-pack. Ah, oh, whatever. It's just a, just a two-rebound game. It's because the numbers are bigger. And so it looks like there's a bigger gap. 
Larry Nance scored six points. You wanted 15 out of that slot. That sounds like a long way off. He missed by nine. Nine's a big number. As opposed to, I mean, you want to look at really small ones, like look at assists even. We can't even do it with steals and blocks. You're getting into a fraction of a statistical category. But like assists is usually somewhere around 3.2, I think-ish for league average. Somebody has a two assist game. They're only getting like 60% of the way there. We don't even bat an eye because that's off by one ish a little over one when we're splitting hairs there but i mean we'll find someone at some point during our look through this stuff that we'll just be like oh you know two assists that was fine but again like what if somebody got one assist rebounds is actually the easiest one to do this comparison because the numbers you can visualize a little bit better what if somebody got three rebounds on a night they got halfway where you'd want them to be you probably wouldn't even think about it Najee Marshall got three rebounds, and people are talking about his line like it was this colossal, massive line. Which it wasn't, by the way. But he's getting all the credit. Now, points leagues again. Let's talk category leagues here. Category leagues, he was slightly above what you'd want in points, and slightly above what you'd want in assists, and he was basically sub-average in everything else. And rebounds, he only got you half. We forgive, in fact, if you put this line, I'm talking category leagues. If you put Najee Marshall's line next to Larry Nance's line, and you said which player would you rather have in a category format, points leagues, fine. Najee can win points leagues. I get it. I think Marshall wins that poll even on the category side. Maybe I'm jaded. I don't know. It's possible that I'm jaded. But I just, we forgive players for coming up short in all of the other categories so easily and so readily because it's like, ah, whatever, I can make up three rebounds almost any place, but where am I going to get nine points? I get it. Points are harder to find on the waiver wire, late in drafts, all that good stuff. But the, the percentage you're working with here is actually the same. And if you want, because points are hard to get off the waiver wire and because they're hard to get late in drafts at this time of year, you can even put a little handicap on it. I'm okay with that too. And say Nance was more like a third. You know, that hurt a tiny bit more because it's a slightly harder category to find. But Larry Nance's line, and I will go to the grave on this one, was far superior to Najee Marshall in this ballgame. And I'll, you know, I'll fight you with gloves on <laughs> on this one. And maybe I'll do that poll on Twitter actually later today because Nance was... Sub-average in points and threes, but was average in rebounds, average in assists, a better than average in steals, better than average in blocks, better than average in field goal percent, zero turnovers. So that's also better than average. And I guess Marshall with only one turnover was also slightly better than average in that one as well. But a big tanko in field goal and free throw, we got to include that as well. The two defensive stat advantage. It feels so little. I know it's weird to try to try to let this sink in that Larian's getting two steals and one block is so much more valuable than Marshall getting one steal and zero blocks. And it has to do with, and this is head-to-head or Roto, what it takes to win those categories in a given week. 45, 55 steals in a given week. 
Did Larry Nance just get you 2% closer? And blocks. I mean, 20, 25 in a lot of leagues will get you there. Did he just get you like 4 to 5% of the way to a category you needed? Did Marshall do that with 18 points? Versus 6. So I guess we're talking about 12. Eh. I don't actually know. Sometimes my leagues are like eight or 900 points. Sometimes they're a lot lower than that. So just let that stuff kind of sit on your brain where these little things that Nance had the advantage in a bunch of different spots, each one was probably worth as much as the dozen points that Marshall put up over him. That was actually a pretty good example to break that down. Let's move to the next ball game. We spent... We're doing the whole show on the first ball game today. We don't need to do it that way. We'll 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 move on, I promise. Milwaukee beat New York. Brooke Lopez was good again. It's not slowing down, guys. We're halfway through the season. This is Brooke Lopez this year. We're halfway there, and he's now number 12 by totals. That's crazy. Pretty remarkable stuff. 24 uh, by averages, still at 2.6 blocks per game. By the way, I can't believe what JJJ is doing on the defensive side, but regardless... Uh, Pat Connaughton double-doubled in this one. I don't expect that to happen again anytime soon. But he and Grayson Allen do make sense as schedule stream-level plays. Joe Ingles is a guy to keep an eye on while Middleton remains out. He has a really interesting fantasy game. It's just hard to see him doing this nightly. But if he starts to, then we would act on it. I don't think you have to get out in front of that one. On the Knicks side, Jalen Brunson shook off the free-throw line weird stuff and went 10-for-10 down there. He and Julius Randle took 59 combined shots in this game. Whoa. Regulation. This is a regulation ball game. They took 59 combined shots. That's crazy. Uh, no real news. Uh, Emmanuel quickly is a start until RJ Barrett comes back, so we can basically just zip through that ball game so that we can have more time on Boston-Chicago, which was a good ball game and might have gone down to the wire, but DeMar DeRozan... Exited in the third quarter of this ball game with a quad strain. Finished with 13-3-3. and three. Uh, That's a big loss. He's already listed as doubtful. And if it's truly like a full quad strain, it's going to be a couple of weeks. If they come back later and they say, oh, it was just like general soreness, then, then maybe you could adjust that timeline up a little bit. But a strain, an actual strain, does not heal overnight. It's going to hurt. It's going to get worse probably before it gets better. And then it's just going to like hurt for a while. And it's going to get a teeny tiny bit better every single day. And it might plateau in there a little bit. And Damar's got to stay off that thing. And he's got to try to get it better quickly. But he, he's going to have to fight that urge. So my guess, and I don't know for sure because I'm not the team doctor. But my guess is that Damar is out for a couple of weeks. Which means, and to me, this is actually the biggest news of the day, Patrick Williams, who we've been talking about incessantly on this show, for better or worse, deserves to be added. As right now, I think one of my favorite injury replacement guys on the board. Because he's someone that's been extremely close to value, extremely close, while the team's been healthy sitting right in that schedule stream zone of like top 120 to 140 range where all you need is a little bit more usage. 
because it's not about the playing time for Williams. He's out there. He's the all-time power forward on that team, and he gets all the playing time he can handle. But what he doesn't get is looks at the bucket. And it's and we saw this earlier in the season as well. It, it's uh, it like it's a pretty damn easy call to make with him. Uh, remember those games when Zach Levine was out? It's been a while. I think Levine even played. Did he play in their back to back in December? They only had one. So like it's been a really long time since the Bulls have been missing one of their super high usage guys. But if you go back to the beginning of the year, remember when Levine took a little bit of time off? I think that might have been might have even been in October or late October, early November. That is when Williams suddenly found himself taking 10, 9, 16, 8 shots per ball game instead of 5, 7, 7, 8. And you're actually starting to see it tick up just the tiniest bit, even when the team's been healthy lately. You know, it hasn't been, he hasn't been in the like 5 to 6 range as much, but there's a, a tangible difference. And the trend line with him, which was already going in the right direction, because at the beginning of the year, he was taking five, six shots a ball game, and he was not near, he was like top 200 at that point. And then he got that bonus usage when Levine was out, and he was a start. He was getting one to two blocks per ball game in there, 12 points, five boards, a steal, sometimes more than that, one to two, three pointers. Things looked pretty good for him. Then the team got healthy again. His minutes mostly stayed intact, but the shots dropped. Back down, you saw eight, seven, four, five, nine, seven, seven, four, all single digit stuff. Lately, basically, if you want to say since December 21st, he had an 11 field goal attempt game. It's gone 11, 8, 10, 12, 6, 7, 10, 8, 11, 10, 8. He only actually got eight in yesterday's game when DeRozan went down. But I think you can feel pretty comfortable that most games. With either DeMar or Levine out, Patrick will get 10 shots or more. And that, in my estimation, is really all it takes at this point. Because we've seen the defensive stats. He has the potential to be a 1-1-1 guy, which is a big deal. One three-pointer or more, one steal or more, one block or more. And now, and he's like around five rebounds, and now you put him in position to actually make maybe not a positive impact in the scoring departments, but a non-negative or negligible at the very least. We'll take that. We'll take 11 points moving up to 13 or 14. We'll take the free throws at like one and change. Maybe that creeps towards two because he's actually kind of okay there. I like Patrick Williams a lot as a fill-in. We'll see how long DeMar is out. I I don't think that Williams is a rest-of-season guy uh, because eventually DeMar comes back. But also, there's this kind of built-in thing going on now where... What if the Bulls decide that they should go another way? They're in the play-in right now, so that makes the discussion really, really complicated, and they have actually played better over the last seven, eight ball games. Uh, and honestly, you could kind of forgive them this loss to the team with the best record in the NBA also. So my thought is it's becoming less and less likely that... Chicago breaks this thing down and blows it up. But if they do, Patrick Williams is in line to be one of those really big winners. And right now, you, we all, you, we, whoever, we have this incredible opportunity to pick up a streamer with benefits. Because we can ride him while DeMar is out. And hey, maybe somebody gets moved while this is happening. Or maybe you just hang on to him a little bit after that. Like, what's, what if DeMar is out uh, three weeks? 
I think it'll be a tiny bit shorter than that, but let's say hypothetically DeMar is out for three weeks. That takes us to February. The deadline is a week later. It's February 9th. We're four, we're like just over four weeks away from the trade deadline. So if you can ride Patrick Williams for two and a half to three of those four weeks, it's pretty easy to just stash him for a week at that point. I hate stashing guys for a month or longer leading up to the trade deadline when there's only like a 20% chance that it, it turns into anything. It's so much wasted space. But here, you get something, and the stash becomes shorter. Every single day that DeMar is out, the Patrick Williams trade deadline idea becomes a shorter and easier thing to execute. I'm not adding Io Desunmu. I'm not adding Alex Caruso, although Caruso between those two guys is the guy I would keep one eye on. Boston. Grant Williams went big. I have to admit, didn't see this one coming. Figured it would be Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White chewing up a bunch of the Marcus Smart usage and minutes. Uh, And they were both okay, but I thought they would be better. And I think they probably will be because Grant came off the bench and just went buck wild. He played 37 minutes. It was the third most on the team behind Tatum and Brown. And we know enough from watching Grant this year that it just doesn't happen every day. Yes, there's a bit more opportunity for him here with Marcus Smart out. Um, but he's more like his minutes seem to bounce between like 22, 23 and 28. I think this was the largest minute total for him maybe of the year. No, they had a, like a triple overtime game where he got into the forties. But other than that, this was the highest minute total, uh, for Grant Williams all season. Some of that was again, because Marcus Smart was out. So they were able to just sort of let it ride with him. But if he's not playing as well as he did yesterday, It'll go back to White and Brogdon. So I, if, if that's where you were, if you had Derek White filling in for Smart, stick with it. If you had Malcolm Brogdon, you can probably stick with that as well. Less great 9-cat on the Brogdon side, um, but I, I'm okay with either of them. The centers is where I actually want to spend more of my attention with Boston because there's so much negative discourse uh, around the Boston big men, and I'm just so fatigued by it. Al Horford, 33 minutes. Please stop asking the same question over and over again. Horford had, in this ballgame, a near nine-category line. He was low on points, but he was above average in threes, boards, assists, right on league average in steals, above average in blocks, above average in field goal percent, above average in turnovers, didn't take a free throw. So he had two categories where he was neutral. He had one negative, and everything else was positive. Five positives. You did not draft Horford expecting him to score 15 points per game. That was never part of the equation. In fact, uh, what, where was he at last year? Like 10? It wasn't much. 10.2. He's at 9.2 this year. Rebounds are down a little bit. That's a a tiny bit strange. um, And there's still actually a possibility that they kind of come back a little bit. They've been trending up after a very slow start to the year. Their assists is also another one that started slowly and has been trending up. Steals and blocks have also been trending up after a very slow start to the year. I know what everybody's freaking out about. He had like four games where he basically did nothing. But guess what? There are plenty of good fantasy players out there who go through bad weeks. Horford's still number 70 on a per-game basis in 9-cat. I get it if you're punting turnovers, 
there's less value there. But please don't yell at me, Dan, I'm punting turnovers. You can't value them like that. I can't assume you're all punting turnovers. And frankly, you shouldn't all be punting turnovers. Because if you're all doing it, then no one has an advantage. <laughs> if one of you, if every single one of you was punting turnovers and only one of you decided to actually compete in them, even the tiniest bit, you'd have a free category every week. Hello, free square. So here's the thing. Big Al wasn't going to shoot like 32% the whole year, which is where he was during this slump. They're figuring out rotations. They are. And Horford and Time Lord played together yesterday. They started together. And it went fine. Robert Williams, 6.7 boards, 2 blocks. He's up to 23 minutes per game now. They, Joe Mazzulla said there wasn't a, a minutes restriction on Robert Williams, but like, if there's not a minutes restriction, then there is kind of like a wink-wink-nod-nod minutes restriction. Both Boston centers need to be rostered in nine-category format. Both. Don't drop a good player on a bad week. Killing me. You're killing me. Memphis beat San Antonio 121-113. Keldon Johnson sat this one out on the Spurs side, and so Josh Richardson was decent again. He's probably, I say probably, a safe play as long as Keldon Johnson's out. I'm not bothering with guys like Romeo Lankford, Doug McDermott, Kata Bates-Job, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham. Not interested. None of them has a decent fantasy profile. You need a decent fantasy profile and opportunity and Richardson has at least one of those, and the opportunity is sort of questionable, but it does seem like there's kind of enough for him right now. So if you want to pick up Richardson, I'm fine with that. Just know that it didn't sound like Keldon was going to be out that long. He got ruled out like four hours before game time, so not like a full game time decision, but inching up on it. Call it a week, maybe, and Richardson's already used up part of that. Uh, but he is good enough, I think, to play if you have the opportunity to kind of make those last-second decisions on it. On the Memphis side, JJJ, five more blocks. Crazy. He's on an unbelievable run. Um, I think they come down at some point, but maybe they don't. Maybe this is really just like a new era of defensive stat, and JJJ might become my favorite player in the world next year. Uh, Tyus Jones, anytime John Moran is out, Tyus, the best backup point guard in the NBA, got to play against Trey. They said they had a really good time, and that's all there is from that ball game. Not a lot from Denver, L.A. either. Uh, Pat Beverly left with hip soreness, which he and Chris Paul can kick back in their recliners, suck on some Werther Originals, and wait until their hip feels better. I'll tell you what, my hip kind of hurts a little bit too. LeBron sat this one out. This was sort of a schedule loss for the Lakers going and they're not going to win in Denver against the team with the best record in the West. Down Anthony Davis, down Austin Reeves, down Troy Brown Jr., down Lonnie Walker the fourth. And I know a lot of those names don't sound important, but to this Lakers team, they are. And credit, by the way, to the Lakers for kind of hanging in there. Nuggets didn't take them all that seriously. We'll give you that. Jokic only taking five shots. Pretty good reminder they weren't really taking this game seriously, but they hung in there. Dennis Schroeder is a play when LeBron is out. I'm still not convinced he's a nine-category play when LeBron is in. He makes sense probably more on the points league side. And also, you know the field goal percent is going to have to come down after the crazy run Schroeder was on. Thomas Bryant was the only really safe play in this one in nine-cat. 
But I expect Braun back. They play on Thursday, so he knew he could just skip this game they weren't going to win anyway and give himself like five days off, take the loss, try to saddle up for the Mavs and the Sixers and Lakers on a, a really tough three-game run here. Uh, I think they figure if they could get one out of those three and then move back into a slightly easier part of the calendar, um, that's the thinking there. So don't worry about LeBron. He'll be okay. He's going to take that ankle game by game. And if there are these spots where he can earn himself a little rest by... And remember, he played in the back-to-back because they felt like they could beat the Kings, and they did. He skipped this one because they'll never say it, but they knew they weren't going to win this game. And anybody that went in there and played in Denver was just like, now we'll get our reps in. Maybe the magic happens. It didn't. For the Nuggets, I did a long spiel on yesterday's podcast about how picking between Bruce Brown and KCP didn't matter, and they were both fine, actually, in this ballgame. And it continues to not really matter all that much, although lately, they've each been good enough. Another example of why you could see Denver didn't take this game all that seriously, Michael Porter Jr., 26 minutes, Aaron Gordon, 22 minutes. They didn't really run their guys too hard. Jamal Murray, he's been looking good these days. Took 29 shots. He was just having a ball out there. And Nikola Jokic, a triple-double perfecto. Incredible. 14-11 and 16 assists on 5-for-5 shooting and 3-for-3 at the free-throw line. Neat. No changes to our evaluations in Denver. I still think KCP is startable regularly, and I still think Bruce Brown is maybe just on the wrong side of the cut line, but like he's so close that it doesn't really matter. Say it once, I'll say it a million times. Sacramento blew out Orlando. They had 23 three-pointers in that ballgame while shooting 54%. You're not going to lose too many games when you put up those offensive numbers. Harrison Barnes tried to pull off a Boyan Bogdanovich, but couldn't do it. I don't know if you guys remember what the Boyan was. Remember when he put up only points and threes and nothing else? Barnes almost. One rebound, one assist. He screwed it up. He had a turnover too, but in any event. Keegan Murray had five three-pointers. <sighs> like, this is obviously a positive fantasy game for Keegan, because five threes is good. The field goal percent was good. Also, two things that were for a one-game sample size, elite for a day. But I still need to see other categories. We're not seeing them. And so, I think we can just continue to treat the Kings the same way we have for the better part of nine and a half weeks now. Which is that Demonis Sabonis is the hub of the offense. Um, Darren Fox has trended down more towards where he ends up, which is he's in the 50s in nine cat. And uh, everything else just stays the same. Orlando is the last thing I really wanted to, and, and I don't have a whole lot of like end of show stuff to talk about after the magic, but I kind of wanted to do like a little bit of a reset on Orlando um, because they sort of, they're getting their guys back. Jalen Suggs played 24 minutes, bowl. You say it once, you say it twice. Doesn't matter. So good. You got to say it two times. Bowl, bowl, which Feels like I'm making a noise when I say it two times really fast, but uh, I'll do my best to make sure you guys know it. I'll slow it down. Bowl is supposed to be back in Orlando's next ballgame. He was conditioning here after COVID. We just kind of need to find out who gets to do what. And on yesterday's podcast, I mentioned that I was sort of, I was in on the regulars, Franz, Wendell Carter Jr., Paolo. I'm also in on Fultz. It looks like he's going to be above the cut line. 
And that's pretty much as far as I go in nine category leagues. Points leagues, you could stream Cole Anthony. Or Magic have a pretty good schedule this week. You could even probably stream Suggs, Mo Wagner, streamable in uh, points formats. Even nine cat really just sort of squeeze out some extra games, but not on the games cap side. That doesn't make sense. And then uh, I, I get a lot of questions on Bull Bull. I, I, I think he's probably going to settle near that 100 marker. Um, and that's startable in nine category leagues. Probably not so much on the points league side. And that's your Monday recap. Uh, I don't really anything to add as far as strategy goes. We have a larger than average Tuesday, which is super cool. We have one of those weeks where there's a decent chunk of games every day. Oh, seven gamer tonight. Here, what's to look forward to? Uh, Detroit at Philadelphia. Not a whole lot going on with the Pistons to pay attention to. I think we've kind of checked every box. Uh, Jalen Duran is out. I believe he's already been ruled out for this ballgame. Joel Embiid is questionable. And as of this moment, as I flip back to the news to make sure nothing happened while I was recording, yeah, he remains questionable. Uh, P.J. Tucker is also questionable, although they each went through shoot-around. So there's a shot that they get back in there, at which point you can cast Montrezl Harrell back into the ocean. And we'll also get a look at DeAnthony Melton possibly coming off the bench in this ballgame, which I still like, by the way, after, remember, a three-game sample where he figures out what his new role is. Remember how it took him three games at the beginning of the year when he was on the bench? Took him three games when he moved into the starting lineup. Give the man time. Oklahoma City, uh, Kenrich Williams was the guy we're watching. I think we pretty much locked in on where we're at with Jalen Williams, Miami. Uh, Tyler Hero is questionable, or is he already ruled out now? I might have missed the Heat update. Uh, out. Bam Adebayo, out. It is official. They are not questionable. They are out. I don't feel confident enough throwing almost any of the Heat fringe guys in there other than probably Oladipo. And maybe we get a feel for a, a possible center replacement. Orlando Robinson is a maybe. Hightower is a maybe. I'd rather watch one before we make a move on any of it. Charlotte. I'm keeping an eye on Dennis Smith Jr. Let's see if his minutes trend up in the right direction or if he levels off at like 23 because that wouldn't quite be enough for him there. Toronto, nothing really. They're mostly healthy right now, and they badly need to collect wins or they're going to get blown apart at the trade deadline. They can still dodge it, though. Cleveland, nothing. Utah, seems like no Kelly Olynyk uh, with the ankle stuff. I believe he's, he's already been ruled out. Yeah, I think he's already been ruled out. Um, which means a little more Walker Kessler, a little more Jared Vanderbilt. And we'll see if any of that trickles down to Malik Beasley was another question. Do they go smaller in Utah, and does Beasley move back up and over the trustworthy line and shift from that uh, schedule stream back up into full-blown injury replacement board? Orlando, this will be a good one. We'll we'll get a little more information on the Magic. I'm not dabbling much, if at all, over there. Portland, nothing. Phoenix, unfortunately, not much. They're really cut down to their prime. No CP3, no Devin Booker, no Cam Johnson, no campaign. DeAndre Ayton, I believe, is a... Oh, he's been scratched, too. DeAndre Ayton is out also. Good Lord. Oh, my goodness. Um, the, the, uh, I... Do I start Dwayne Washington? I don't know, man. This could get ugly, but someone's got to take shots. I think I would play Landry Shamit because he'll just be out there firing away also. 
Head-to-head, I think I would play Washington. Roto, I don't think I would. And then Jock Landale probably is playable in a lot of formats, but you might be better off just checking this one out other than the guys you could call almost like a guarantee to take 18 to 20 shots. Hope you're okay with Shamit going 6 for 19, but, you know, if he hits four or five three-pointers and gets you a steal or two, then it ends up kind of being worth it. Warriors, Steph likely to make his return in this ballgame. If I'm a betting man, I'd probably take the 12 points with Phoenix because everybody thinks they're just going to get run, and they probably will. But for the Warriors, they're trying to work Wiggins back in. They're going to be working Steph back in. Dante DiVincenzo's role probably shrinks down to very little, although there's going to be minutes caps on the superstars. There's a lot going on with the Warriors. Would I still start DiVincenzo? I probably wouldn't, especially with the possibility of a blowout. Um, and frankly, you can get out in front of this one, especially with some new injury streamers floating around out there. Dallas, uh, I, I, I keep saying I want to see them like kind of against a better ball club. Clippers are struggling right now, so I'm still going to count them as a better team, the Clippers, but they're in a weird way, and this is part of a, a two-gamer for Dallas in Los Angeles. They got the Clippers tonight. They got the Lakers on Thursday. I, I do want to see how Tim Hardaway Jr. does, uh, continuing against slightly better defenses, how Christian Wood does against slightly better defenses. And for the Clippers, uh, we got Paul George to think about. We've got, uh, do we do the Norman Powell experience? It all comes down to who's in and who's out. And this look ahead was not as lightning roundy as I wanted. So for those of you enjoying this podcast, I have bad news for you. It's coming to an end. Thank you for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Do follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers, and we will talk to all of you again tomorrow.